Greetings, my friends, and welcome to the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast, episode number 14. As always, I am your host, Chris Hales. Very happy to be bringing you this show today. This is the show that celebrates the greatest instrument in the world and those who compose for it. If this is your first time joining me, let me tell you a little bit about this show. We talk a little classical guitar on this show. We talk a little composition. We talk about miscellaneous other things. And then we feature original classical guitar music from around the world. Your music. If you have a classical guitar piece you'd like to have featured on this show, simply send an mp3 recording to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com and I'll put it on the show. And we don't evaluate the pieces here, we're not going to analyze or critique them, we're just going to simply play them. And that's what this show's all about. I absolutely love hearing the pieces that come in. We've had so many different styles. I'd say we've had everything from the straight-up classical to somewhat new age, but one thing that they all have in common is that they feature the classical guitar. And that is the only rule for your piece to be on this show. It must feature the classical guitar, and the recording must be of a real guitar. I don't care if the other instruments are real, as long as the guitar is real. And today we will once again be featuring the music of Scott Niebauer, not the same pieces uh, we heard the first time Scott was featured on the show, but a different set of pieces, and more on that later. But for now, get yourself comfortable and enjoy the show. So I got this email I'd like to read. Um, I've decided to read emails as they come in on the show. Uh, This was from Larry. It says, Hi, Chris. I just wanted to mention that I recently discovered your podcast via Spotify, and I'm really enjoying listening to them. I've gone back to the first episode, and I'm catching up one by one. Very much enjoy the vibe and the musical selections. I'm I'm an adult late beginner on the classical guitar, and unfortunately don't have any compositions of my own yet. But I've turned my teacher onto the podcast, and maybe he'll submit one of his compositions in the future. Thanks, and keep it up. Regards, Larry. Thank you so much, Larry. That's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad we seem to be getting new listeners all the time, and uh, thank you for turning your teacher onto it. Uh, you certainly don't need to be a composer to enjoy this show, but I'd assume if you're listening, uh, you at least have a love for the classical guitar, and I think that's all you really need. But uh, I actually want to talk some composition today. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this. So I go walking a few days a week, um, you know, just to get a little exercise. I try to get out and uh, I'll put on a pair of headphones and just kind of walk around town. And, uh, you know, I'll, I I tend to listen to a lot of classical when I'm on these walks. I found I really like, uh, you know, either something big and symphonic or a lot of the times I'll just like throw David Russell on shuffle but uh, um, I was so I've been going through the Beethoven symphonies again Um, every now and then I like to just listen through them one by one and uh, you know I was just thinking as I was listening uh, to one of them that I found it interesting that he wrote not he didn't write a symphony in a minor key until he reached his fifth symphony his first four were in a major key and of his nine symphonies, only two of them were in minor. And I thought, huh, that's weird. I, I don't know why that's weird other than um, 
sort of balancing major and minor in my writing has been on my radar. It, it started when, um, so I used to gravitate toward minor a lot when I was first uh, really getting into composition. And my teacher at the time, I, I mentioned to him that I, I like to write in minor keys. And he's like, yeah, well, I think it's easier to write in minor keys. And um, of course, once he said that, I was instantly started trying to write more in major keys because I didn't want to feel like I was taking the easy way out. Now, uh, days, I, I, I don't know that I gravitate to one or the other, but I just, as I was walking and listening to the symphonies and I was thinking about it, um, I started just doing an inventory on major and minor by different composers and, uh, of my own stuff. So as far as my guitar music that I featured on the show, uh, my first suite was, it, it did not have a unifying key and, um, but of the five movements, uh, the, the first three are in major, and then the, the last two are in minor. And uh, my second suite was all in E minor. So, and then I, you know, I have a handful of other pieces, and I, I think more are in minor than in major. So maybe I'm going to start writing more in major. But do you, uh, do you as composers even think about that when you write? Do you, do you ever sit down and think, I've written too many pieces in minor lately, I need to write something in major. Now I'm talking uh, particularly to those of you who are tonal composers. Uh, those of you who do not like to be bounded by tonality and keys, well I guess uh, this topic may not interest you. But I started thinking about uh, different guitar composers and, uh, you know, like Mozart uh, is pretty notorious for writing almost exclusively in major keys but when Mozart goes minor it's awesome I mean Mozart in D minor it doesn't get much better than that um, but most of his stuff is in major and uh, I, I would say that Giuliani is the same way right like all of his major works are in major keys uh, I can think of one Giuliani piece off the top of my head that's in minor and that would be the Folia's variations uh, there's probably more than that though but but he kind of took that you know the classical period in general uh, was mostly major keys I wonder why that is I, I have no idea why that is but uh, with Bach um, so let's see Bach's four lute suites uh, first one in G minor I believe so we have a G minor uh, oh no the first one is First one's the one that uh, is my favorite one, the one in E minor. Let's see. Uh, the E minor, there is the uh, C minor, but it's it's generally played in A minor on the guitar. Uh, I think that one's number two. I'm not totally sure on the order of those now that I think about it, but I think that's right. I think number one is the E minor, then you have the, the A minor, and then there's the G minor, which was, I believe, a transcription from one of the cello suites. And then you have E major, for the fourth one, uh, which is the, the transcription of the sixth violin partita. So one out of four, Bach liked minor. A lot of Bach stuff is in minor, right? And Bach in D minor is as good as it gets. You have the six sonatas and partitas for solo violin, and that would be G minor. Uh, let's see, I think first part is in B minor and you have the A minor sonata 
then the of course the D minor partita with which features the great Chacon. So that's that's four minors, and then he did the uh, last two to be major. So you have C major and E major, the same as the fourth lute suite. So yeah, Bach seemed to favor minor. I would say. Is this interesting? Of course it is. I, now I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab some music. I want to look at something. Okay, so I just grabbed off of my shelf the Taroba first edition of Castles of Spain. Uh, or the, the first volume, I should say. So eight pieces. These are eight of my absolute favorite pieces for classical guitar. I think that one of these days I, I want to I incorporate some episodes into this show that just sort of pick apart uh, some, some of my favorite compositions and, and talk about you know, kind of the layers going on, and uh, this would be a good place to start, but uh, yeah, so this first one is in E major, and then the second one is in D major, and then we have a C major, Mr. Uh, Taroba seems to like major, major, uh, number five is in major, sure how you say it but sequenza the sixth one now we have a uh, we have minor e minor that's the only one in minor the the last two are in major and uh, I can't think of the I don't know what the ratio would be on the volume two castles of Spain I don't like those ones as much um, I like them but the these eight pieces are just wonderful but yeah only one of them is in minor interesting Although uh, I read once that this was considered a suite, I didn't. I, I so I guess if he's calling it a suite, maybe he's trying to stick in one vein or another. It's certainly not in one unifying key, but definitely favors the major side of the scale. Interesting. So that that was on my mind. Uh, only two of Beethoven's symphonies were in minor key, and. Uh, I of course have ranked the Beethoven symphonies, and uh, you want, yeah, of course you want to know. So I think the best Beethoven symphony is number three, the Eroica, in E flat. I, I think I would like to uh, have that play me to the other side when I go one day. Yeah, uh, and then uh, after that would be the ninth, and then the fifth. And uh, following the fifth, so there's the the two minor symphonies make the top three, but not the number one spot. Uh, but yeah, after number five, so in the number four spot, I would give that one to, uh, number eight, which I think is the most underrated Beethoven symphony. Uh, and then number seven, so that that leaves what? There's one, two, four, six. Oh yeah, so after seven, I'd go six. Just go backwards from there. Six, four, two, and one. Uh, not saying one's the worst. I'm just going to say it's the least best Beethoven symphony. It is too bad that Beethoven did not write for guitar. He is a wonderful composer. I love Beethoven. Uh, I don't know if the guitar um, has the capacity to to host his temperament, but. I often wonder what could have been. Same with Mozart. You know, I know there's a few transcriptions, but transcriptions just aren't the same. 
Uh, I think, aside from Bach uh, and Albanas, just I'd like to hear more original works than transcriptions. Yeah, a lot of the general uh, consensus on Beethoven symphonies is that the odd ones are the best. You just just pick an odd number. Um, but I think that that uh, not quite true. Maybe mostly true, but uh, I, a number eight is better than a lot of. I, I think eight's better than seven. I read this book earlier this year. Uh, it was called Beethoven's Tenth, um, and it was a fictional novel about uh, some people discovering an unfinished tenth symphony of Beethoven's, and all the uh, aftermath of that, and people fighting over rights and whatnot, and. Uh, the debate as to whether or not it was authentic, and it was kind of a fun read. But then I read an article recently that said that there is an unfinished Beethoven symphony, apparently. This is the first I've heard of it, but a, a tenth that is a partial, and uh, apparently they think they can use artificial intelligence to finish the symphony by feeding this computer all of Beethoven's works so the computer can analyze his tendencies and then spit out a Beethoven composition. I think it's the most absurd thing I've ever heard, and I think they need to stop right now. I cannot abide the inevitable debates over whether or not this is a legitimate Beethoven work that will, of course, come about. It just... I can't. I, I, I don't want this to happen. Uh, but I am very curious about that unfinished work. Is that true? Because um, reading the guy who wrote that novel's introduction, it sounded to me like uh, he had to convince people that the idea wasn't absurd, that there was an unfinished Beethoven symphony out there. So I'm totally confused on what's what's out there in terms of a tenth symphony for Beethoven. Anyway, do, do you write in major or minor keys more? That's what I wanted to know. That's what that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, look, it's January, and there's just not that much I feel like talking about. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I uh, speaking of books, though, uh, one of my favorite books I've ever read was Doctor Sleep, uh, which Stephen King wrote a little while back as a sequel to The Shining, and. Uh, you know, we went and saw the movie. It's a little late. Like, this is a few months later, but um, it's... I want to talk about this. Uh, I loved the book. I, I don't... The Shining's okay, but Dr. Sleep is really, really good. Uh, and I hated the movie. I, I saw the movie, and I don't understand what everyone loves so much about this movie. Um, especially if you've read the book... My friend at work, he he loves the movie. He thinks it's so good. And he was telling me that they're coming out with a a Blu-ray edition that features extra stuff. And I was like, like what? And he's like, well, it's it's going to have chapters now, like the book. And I said, well, that's about the only resemblance it's going to have to the book. And uh, he rolled his eyes at me. But no, I don't. I think it was a disappointing movie. And I also think that about It. The, the newer It movie that came out a couple of years ago, and then they came out with Chapter 2, I guess, last year. Uh, I think that might be the most overrated movie of my lifetime. 
it is a really cool concept the the whole premise of the book it's a pretty good book uh with some pretty lame flaws uh and it's it's pretty long uh, not in a good way it's not like the kind of book that's long and you are glad because you want more it's it's the kind that's long and you're like when is this going to end why are we why is this getting why is this going this direction but uh but in general i love the concept of of it it's it's one of the coolest monsters if you would call it that i think of ever conceived just not the greatest execution but the movie got so much hype about how great it is and that co-workers who think it's just the greatest thing ever and yeah i, th- I thought the movie was not very good uh, i like the old mini series better which also wasn't very good but i liked it better than the new movie yeah so i'll tell you a good movie for january a good horror movie because you know that's that's the kind of movies i talk about uh 30 days of night came out how long like 10 years ago or so maybe longer it's not that old you know it's a 2000s movie uh that's a good movie 30 days a night there's a good january horror movie maybe i will do a monthly horror movie recommendation uh tailored to the time of year uh christmas is over maybe i'll wait till christmas i have a bunch of good christmas horror movies to recommend to you all right i've probably talked enough maybe it's time to get on with things you know um like in talk radio and stuff i imagine there's like a ladder you'd have to climb uh like you know maybe intern at a radio station and i don't know do you record like a demo tape of you talking about politics or sports or something and i i don't know but i imagine it's it's a lot of grinding and working for nothing for a lot of years before you finally get a chance and you know whatever but with podcasting uh there are no rules and uh, you, you just give somebody some money and then just start talking into a microphone and you have a podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure maybe the one requirement <laughs> ought to be that uh, you don't speak in a monotone voice. <laughs> and yet here I am. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you guys like it. I really like doing this show too. The music of Scott Niebauer coming up next. Hey, like me, are you addicted to sheet music? Then let me tell you about Encoda. Encoda is an app that lets you practice, play, and perform your sheet music. It is a streaming service similar to Netflix and Spotify with tens of thousands of titles. That's millions of pages of sheet music available instantly at your fingertips. Subscribers have access to the finest editions from Boozy and Hawks, Baron Ryder, Chester, Novello, and many, many more. And they have received praise from Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce D. Donato. And if you're not sure, you can sign up for a free trial. Download Encoda from your app store today. That's Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. And be sure to let them know that the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast sent you. So now we've reached my favorite part of the show, where I would invite you to pause your pause button. (laughs) Pause the show and pour yourself a nice tall glass of iced tea or whatever else is going to get you to where you need to be because this is the part of the show that you're all here for so as i said earlier we are once again featuring the music of scott niebauer and 
Scott writes this. Hi, Chris. Happy New Year. Thank you very much for your recent podcast in which you shower adulation on me and declare me the savior of your podcast. It's taken me a while to write in response, but yeah, wow, thank you. That's incredible. Ha. I am really speechless and honored. When I first discovered your podcast, I felt as if I myself am the single most targeted demographic possible. This podcast is directly for me. Ha. So thank you. Okay, here are four more pieces, actually written earlier than the previous ones I sent you, but in similar style. In a similar style. Almost related in a way. The titles on these ones are sort of describing what the music is doing, thus the title, Descriptive Pieces. Sorry, not much more to say about them. Cheers, Scott. So Scott was referring to, I think in the last episode, or some recent episode, I uh, mentioned that I'm really appreciative of Scott because he sent in music at a time where I thought that this show was completely dead, and since then it seems to have gotten some legs. Um, And no, I absolutely mean it, because I really thought it was not going to happen. So uh, I still stand by what I said, Scott, and I'm glad that you uh, enjoy this show so so much, even though I can't talk. And uh, I really enjoyed your pieces last time, so I'm looking forward to these. I haven't actually heard them yet. I'm going to hear them for the first time right now with all of you. Um, You can find more about Scott. I'll post on... uh, the website www.classicalguitarcomposers.com and I'll put up links to where you can find more about Scott. Okay, so this is four descriptive pieces by Scott Niebauer and I'm going to introduce these one at a time. So the first one is called Kite Sails. This next one is called Fire Shadows. Thank you. 
This next one is called Rainbow. This last piece is titled Lotus. And there it is. We've just heard four descriptive pieces by Scott Niebauer. Thank you so much, Scott. Uh, I really enjoyed those, and I was following along in the score. And like I said, I don't evaluate pieces on this show. But I'm okay with saying I really enjoyed that, and that uh, I would say there was an appropriate mix of major and minor in there. I see uh, that a a band that Scott and I are both fans of, Iron Maiden, are touring next year. Oh no, this year. And uh, 
I've never seen Iron Maiden. I'd really like to go, but so far it looks like uh, no American dates. But uh, they're, I mean, they're really expensive tickets, but I, I think I would probably fork out the money because I've never seen them. And uh, I'm a big Iron Maiden fan. I particularly, uh, Scott mentioned liking the Power Slave album. I too love that album. There, there's there's three, those first three albums they did when they got Bruce Dickinson, I think are all three amazing uh, you've got Number of the Beast, uh, Peace of Mind, and Power Slave. And uh, I think all three of those are, are great. Anyway, I see that they're playing in Prague, and I'm actually going to be going back there again, but uh, not during the time they're there. I'm missing them by like a, a month. Oh, well. So once more, thank you, Scott. And uh, a couple of things. If you'd like to support the show, um, you can buy... My sheet music, there. you just go to www.classicalguitarcomposers.com and click on the link that says, says sheet music. And it has both of the suites that I've featured on this show before. And that's a way you can support the show and get a little something in return. Um, I'm also on Twitter now, at Guitar Hales. Uh, you can follow me there and get updates as to when new episodes come out and... And pretty much just that. I'm not a I'm not a big social media person, but uh, I did though uh, tweet a few weeks ago. Um, there was a composer named Daniel Ainsworth who sent music one time to this show, and he sent me some etudes that he had written. Uh, he didn't have a recording, but he just sent me uh, the score in case I was interested, and I was, and I was kind of enjoying playing through them, and so. I just tweeted like a little video of me playing through the first one. Um, I'm going to try to do some things like that. Um, I I really do enjoy when you guys send these pieces and I, I love uh, looking at your scores and I love trying my hand at, at your pieces. I might tweet once in a while, uh, you know, just a little cut of me, me trying them out. Things like that. Um, it's also a place where you can... Uh, get in touch with me uh, for anything. If you want to comment on today's topics or anything else, uh, that's a good place to do so. You can also email chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. I'll read your email on the show and respond. And that's also, once again, what you do if you want to send your music to the show and have it featured. You just simply send an mp3 recording of that music to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. Chris at ClassicalGuitarComposers.com So that's all the show we have for today. I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Scott for sending in music once more. And a thank you to our sponsor, Encoda. We should hopefully have another podcast in February. And uh, until then, hopefully today's podcast helps break up the monotony of January for you. So until next time, keep on plugging.